progressive ideas, conversations from schools, and the newest concepts in education. This is the School Leadership Podcast. The ramifications of poverty in education are irrefutable. We know the effect it has, and for children in poor families, the achievement gap has widened and deepened in the pandemic's wake. Of course, schools cannot close that gap on their own. So how do you get to the root causes of educational inequality and begin to remedy them? Learning with Parents are an organisation whose raison d'etre is to support all families to have positive learning interactions together. Driven by the knowledge that 49% of the cause of the achievement gap by the age of 11 is related to parents, they partner with organisations, use family-centred resources and expertise around parental engagement. Here to tell their story to James Bowen is Learning With Parents CEO Tom Harbour. Releasing potential and Quashing life-limiting circumstances is their very heartbeat. Let's get Tom on, and first, he'll set out some of the background. I was teaching at a school in Leicester, um, 21-year-old trainee, and um, just a sort of massive shock coming from a position of privilege, going into a school, working with the most incredible kids and the most incredible staff, um, but kids that just face this huge range of barriers, what it means to to grow up in poverty. Um, and I, the, the sort of catalyst for me was um, after one of the students I was teaching who sadly passed away, I, I got really sort of interested in, well, actually, what, what is education inequality? Like, we talk about it a lot, but what really does it mean and where really does it come from? I started by going to Warwick University and doing a master's in education, which looked at what's that root cause of inequality, the root cause of the gap in outcomes between the richest and poorest kids in the country. Lots of interesting research, but one of the things that sort of hit me hard at the time was a bit of research from the Joseph Roundtree Foundation and the IFS, which suggested that there's a nine-month gap in outcomes by the end of primary school. And that only 14% of that gap relates to differences in the classroom and differences in what's happened in those children's learning journeys at school. That compared to 49% that related to parents and what happened at home. That's what shocked me was, okay, actually, if we want to tackle education inequality, if we want to um, help those children that are sort of um, growing up in poverty then we can't just leave it all up to schools. We've got to be looking at that homeland environment and how those parents are, are being supported. And so learning with parents came from that starting point of, we might not know how to do this, but someone's got to try and do something about supporting those parents that are trying to raise their children in poverty. Our vision is that every child is supported at home to fulfill their potential. And we see it as almost everything that's not happening within the school gates the vast majority of that child's life. What's happening there and how are we helping to narrow the gap in outcomes? So we do um, two things at Letting With Parents. Uh, the first thing we always say is that actually parental engagement is really hard and so we want to learn. And to that point, we run um, research and insights 
uh, Stranded Work, which is all about how can we learn, how can we help others to learn um, what's best for supporting those parents that face the biggest barriers to engaging. As well as that, we also want to sort of get our hands dirty, so to speak, and have a go. And so we also run parental engagement programs working with uh, UK state primary schools. And we're currently working with um, around 10,000 parents through those um, programs, but that's going to be scaling rapidly over the, the next uh, year or two. We support parents with children aged 4 to 11, and we're just about to start working with um, younger children as well, so parents preschool 0 to 4 age. And it's it's interesting timing because actually only yesterday I, there was a, an article I was reading, a new report out, um, suggesting, I think it said something like a, a third of parents felt they lacked confidence in just simply reading to children. I mean, I don't know if I'm a bit naive, but that struck me as much higher than I was expecting. A third of parents lacking confidence reading to their children. So I'm just wondering how much does that, I mean, A, shows the importance of this work, but also perhaps the scale of the challenge we're facing in terms of supporting parents with that learning at home. It's a really important highlight. I think there's two things that are key there. The first is that the focus is on the parent and child reading together. Often when we work with schools, parental engagement is a term that gets banded around to mean a lot of different things. And it can mean how do we get parents into school to come along to parents' evening or to, uh, you know, turn over their child's school to sports day or to um, whatever else it might be. And all of that is what we term parental involvement in schooling and it's a positive thing it builds positive school parent relationships but it's not going to change anything in the end outcomes for that child that's differentiated from parental engagement in learning which is all about the interactions that parent and children have together at home and that's the thing that influences the child's life chances and so when you're talking there about parents' confidence in reading, that's absolutely the sort of thing that we need to focus on because those are the interactions that happen more in some households than we do than they do in others. And what we know from research um, from the States um, in particular is that essentially all parents want the best for their child. They all have uh, the same sort of hopes and dreams and aspirations for their child, but some parents turn those good intentions more effectively into the daily habits and routines in how they interact than other parents. So in that um, report you referenced, it wasn't around parents' motivation to read from their child. Parents want to do this stuff, but actually having the confidence, knowing how do you read to your child, how do you make that a, a fun and enjoyable experience, um, is the barrier that we we really need to open. I want to come back in a bit and a few questions, so I'll talk a little bit more about that evidence. I think that's really fascinating in terms of well, what does make the difference in terms of schools working with parents but just before that you talked a bit about the second part of your work is sort of rolling up the sleeves and doing things doing the projects can you give us a couple examples of what that looks like in practice i guess the first thing to say is we're registered charity because going back to that first thing i said about education inequality our laser focus is on those parents that face the biggest barriers to engaging in their children's learning it's really easy to roll out stuff to parents and and send it out there and some will use it and others won't. But how do you actually help those parents who aren't currently uh, engaging regularly in their child's learning to start um, creating that behavior change? And so our approach, we work through primary schools and we start with reading. Reading is a great place to start because it tends to be the thing that primary schools are most actively encouraging their parents to do already. 
Plus, it tends to be the thing, as per that article you referenced, that parents are most open to do and most expecting, perhaps, already to be, be doing with their child. So we have replaced the sort of traditional reading record um, books that primary schools use. 95% of primary schools still use these physical reading records. Um, we've replaced that with an online version. It's a great starting point for getting parents and teachers to be celebrating the interactions that are going on with that child all in one place, all in a sort of um, a positive way. We talk a lot about asset-based parental engagement, which is instead of starting with what parents aren't doing, what they can't do, starting with what they are already doing and celebrating and building on top of that. The digital reading log is a, um, a simple way for parents to say uh, what the child's reading, um, how they've found that interaction. Um, they can upload photos of their child reading, but the really key thing that they uh, do is they leave little audio clips. So instead of writing or initialing the page saying they read that day, they can stick their phone on record and they can um, have 20 seconds of their child reading or them reading with their child together. And that can be the evidence that, that goes back to the class teacher. Those audio clips are, are great because they give the teacher an insight into what that child's um, reading sounds like at home. We know from uh, a bunch of our schools that they've got children who are too shy to read out loud at school, but they have read at home with parents, and so they can start to hear that reading for the first time. But also they build a record of that um, that child's reading. So we're able to go to a parent and say, here was your child reading a year ago when they were four. Listen to them now when they're five. That progress they made is because of all the conversations you've had, the books you've read, the things you've done to help to build that child's reading. And that's really that sort of asset-based um, based model uh, kicking off. In terms of inclusivity and that sort of um, focus on those facing the biggest barriers, one of the things we know is that parents are more likely to have their mobile phone on them than they are to have a reading record or definitely a reading record and a pen. But a big barrier for the parents that we're most focused on is one that sounds really small, which is that they forget their login details. They forget their usernames and their passwords to all these different things that um, schools and other places send them. If you're a parent that's sort of coming to this reluctantly, you might only have one shot. The school might only have one shot with you um, to really get you engaged. And so if you're having to reset your password and fiddly things like that, then it's, it's not going to work. So what we do is we send parents a magic link, which is bespoke to them. They click on it. They're taken straight through to their child's um, reading log but without having to enter a username and a password. And so that sort of ease of use for the parents that are least likely to engage, um, we, we know is really important. Once we've built that, um, that reading log with the school, so that program's called We Read, then we develop it into a, a full program. So the parents and teachers are logging their reading regularly with that child. And then we move on to, okay, but actually, how do you read with the child? And again, that goes back to the like confidence of knowing how to read. How do you read with your child? How do you play um, little games, word games, or maths games, or whatever else it might be um, with your child at home? And that's our full maths and English programs. What they do very briefly is to replace your traditional homework with activities that have that parent-child interaction absolutely at their heart. So instead of the classic example we use, instead of a year one teacher saying, okay, here's a worksheet to do about quarters, it would be, here's a one minute video of two five-year-olds explaining what quarters are, what a part whole model is, what four equal parts means. 
breaking down all that sort of um, nervousness that the parent might have about the curriculum topic. And then, now that you've watched that video, why don't you get your four favorite teddy bears out, get a pile of pasta, and have a little sort of teddy bears picnic where you're exploring what it means together to find quarters of that pile of pasta. So it's all building that interaction, building it in a really positive way. In terms of what makes us, you know, particularly different, is that focus on the most disadvantaged or the um, ones least likely to engage. And so we look at all those activities. Let's say it's a teddy bear's picnic with a pasta. We'll get about 300,000 uh, comments a year from parents and children playing our games. And we go through those and we say, okay, well, we can see that a whole bunch of these parents are saying they didn't do that activity because they don't have pasta at home because they don't eat pasta in their culture or whatever else, or they couldn't afford to have any. Or they did, but they just been to the food bank and they didn't want to put it on the floor and um, play with it in that way, whatever the reason. And so then we're like, okay, maybe it can't just be pasta. Maybe it has to offer them that they could go outside and get some pebbles. Then maybe they're in a four floor flat and it's raining today and whatever else. And so really interrogating ourselves and, and everything we're putting out there to say, how can you make this more and more inclusive? So there's fewer and fewer barriers for different families to be able to pick it up and have that really sort of um, fun, positive interaction with their child. How do you make sure it's really sort of embedded in the existing life of the school? I, I'm always conscious quite often, I know in the past when I was in schools, sort of these things like this that say came along, but they always sort of sat slightly separate to the school. You thought, oh, it doesn't quite fit what we're doing. I, I need to bespoke this a bit. I suppose, how do you work with schools to make sure it kind of works in their context and, and for their children? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I think the first thing is that the reading log really helps with that because schools are already using reading logs. They're already having tasks like going through the 30 reading logs and seeing which child hasn't been read to that week and then sending them off with the TA. We can automate that process. So I think it's 80, uh, 80 to 85% of teachers we surveyed say that uh, working with us reduces their workload rather than increases because it's saving those sorts of bits about managing reading records, running around finding homework sheets to print out and um, send home, etc. So that, there's a part around that. Um, but there's also a part about working with schools to really understand parental engagement. Um, and we have a sort of um, an onboarding approach for that. So we have a main school contact in the school that we work with. We then work with them to develop and run um, staff training. And it's very explicitly not class teacher training because often some of the most important people for working with parents in a school are not the class teachers, but are people like the receptionists who meet parents every day or the lunchtime supervisors or the TAs who may well be parents or from those communities themselves. Um, but don't typically come along to any training um, and don't typically get in included. So getting all those people together, really thinking about what it means to support the parents in their communities, um, think about why it's so so important and thinking about how a, a program like Learning With Parents can, can become a really sort of integral part to that. And then because when you talk about these programs that sort of sit there in their peripheral, part of that is that they've often been brought in as a, okay, this is going to fix all of our problems. <laughs> and then actually something like parental engagement is just too hard. Like you're not going to get anything. It doesn't matter how many times we've iterated the teddy bear picnic activity. You're not going to get all of your parents suddenly jumping on board and starting with that. You're not going to get all of your parents who are 
not reading, suddenly starting to read. But what you can do is you can get a whole bunch who you weren't getting before, and you can get the data that tells you which parents are and aren't engaging and how are they engaged. So it might be, here's a group that are you know, reading with their child every day, week in, week out. Here's a group that started off in September doing that, but dropped off over the year. And here are some that have just never even sort of started at all and, and we really need to work on. And the way you'll work with those parents will be will be different. And so our approach is we test and learn with schools. So we put programs out together with the school and then we'll look at that data. And we have a team of what we call school partnership managers who are all former primary school teachers. And they look at that data together with the teachers and they say, what can we tell about these families? What can we see in terms of their behaviors, how they're engaging, but also their demographic. And if you're from a small white working class rural school, or you're from an inner city, you know, 90% Gujarati speaking school, like they're very different parent challenges. So what can we see that other schools with similar demographics have done? You might be able to try in your own school. And then we can test out other things. And that will often be the sort of um, face-to-face interventions or different ideas of, of reaching out to families. But it's that culture of, okay, we're going to use the data to tell us who are the families we need to focus on. And then with those families, we're going to try and put the intervention in place that's actually needed for them. So to give one example, we know that being app-based Lots of the most disadvantaged families, they will have phones, but they won't have Wi-Fi at home. So we often get schools saying the barrier is for this particular parent, once we've dug into it, that they don't have the data to go and watch a video. And we have a partnership with Vodafone where if we can identify that that is the barrier that's stopping those parents engaging, then we can get Vodafone to send them a free SIM card and they will get the data that they, they need to start accessing websites like our own and other things to to support their child. That is the sort of thing where you need to have worked through actually what's the barrier for that particular parent. It's not going to happen straight away. But also if you just said, well, we assume the barrier is EAL or or something else, then you're not going to get anywhere with that. So it needs the data. It needs that sort of learning cycle. And it needs us constantly being open to to learning new things like the SIM card um, example that can, can make a real difference. You know, you mentioned earlier about the evidence and, and the research and what have you into this. I'm really interested in terms of what does the evidence tell us about you know, maximizing parental engagement and what actually really makes a difference of all the things you can do. And I know, you know, you guys are doing research yourself as well. So what, in terms of the focus of what you're looking into with your research. I think the thing that consistently comes out in different forms is that parents, like the importance of parental engagement is absolutely clear. And that 49% versus 14% that I quoted early on is just one of the numerous bits of research that evidence that actually, if we're interested in the child's life chances, then it's what happens at home that has, has the biggest impact. What's not clear is how do you do that? The EEF even have on their website that, you know, parental engagement is one of the most important things leave us to try and pull, but the way to do it is relatively unknown. So that can be a real frustration for schools because they're like, look, we understand that we're the heart of a community. We've got to be um, really looking to work with them. But then they can end up trying to implement that. We spoke to so many schools who put on, you know, these big events, 180 parents invited and three show up. And 
that's that's the starting point. That's the frustration. And so that's why our research and insights piece is so key to us is to say, actually, one of the things we gain through being a tech-based charity is a lot of that data in seeing how parents and children interact. And we can cut that in different ways. So yes, a class teacher can look at how are all of the kids in their class reading, like, or playing these maths or English games, like the sort of SIM card example I just gave. But also a school leader can look at, well, what can I see across all my classes and what are the patterns that I can spot or which teachers might need a bit more support in, in how they're delivering this. Stepping back again, we can work with multi-academy trusts at a trust level. So one of the MAT CEOs we were speaking to has got 11 schools in her MAD. And once they're using the reading log, she can have a finger on the pulse of reading in those schools, broken down by things like free school meals or white boys or whatever her particular sort of focus is. But then two of those schools were getting a new physical school library. And so the ability for her to be able to say, okay, what's the impact that that school library has on reading at home or reading in the classroom or reading for my FSM kids, whatever else it might be, compared to in the nine schools where they haven't had it, can start to allow you to evaluate other things that the schools might be doing to drive parental engagement aside from aside from just our program. But it requires that data, it requires that finger on the ball. So we know that through sort of physical uh, logbooks, that's just not being being done at the moment. So things like maths aren't able to compare across schools and look at how practice can um, can improve. And then stepping out once more, so from the class to the school to the mat, the next level is like the national research. What can we understand about um, how best to engage parents? We already looked at, it was around half a million activities we looked at together with Chicago University, and we found that parents are most likely to engage on a uh, Sunday afternoon the most useful time to nudge them, in other words, to set the homework, isn't the Monday or the Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or even the Friday. The most useful time is the Sunday morning because then they're more likely to influence their behavior on the Sunday afternoon where for most families, it's that's the convenient time. Obviously, that's hard for schools to do, but we can send text messages through the system. We can nudge them on that Sunday morning. Um, but also, we've seen that Friday seems to be better than Monday. Friday seems a a strange day in some ways to to set homework, but because it's because no one actually does the homework on the Friday, but because it's close to that Sunday, it seems to have an impact. There's bits like this where actually we can learn across the whole sector what are things that we can we can change that really um, improve outcomes. Take one more example: pretty much every school in the country seems to set a random target for how many times a week they want their children to read together at home. Um, so is it, you know, we only do two days a week because we don't want it to be overbearing. Or no, we've got high expectations. We want it every day. Does that mean five days or seven days? You know, no one seems to set six as a target. Schools just randomly distribute between the others. And there will be a sort of right answer in that. If your focus is on encouraging those parents that aren't currently reading to read more, then probably there's a number that, regardless of whether you're working with their parents or not, is the thing that that is most likely to drive that positive outcome. And so that's one of the things we're looking at is across all of our schools, across the different targets that they set, are there ones that seem to improve the, um, the amount of uh, usage? So we um, use MIS integration. So we know all the data that the, the school knows about the parents and the children and the, um, and the teachers. 
So that allows you to start to look at some really interesting things like how do mums interact with their daughters versus how do mums interact with their sons versus dads and daughters, dads and sons. And what can you do to, to nudge or change some of those behaviors if you've got a particular focus? And so the potential to do research, once you start to collect that data, once you um, have an organization that's got sort of the inequality piece that it's, it's hard, um, I think is really exciting. That's one strand of our research work. We also want to be able to be informed in all of our work by the parents that are facing the biggest barriers. And so our parent voice work sort of seeks to answer the question, what do those parents who won't speak to their child's school think about their child's education? Um, too often it's the it's the 40% respond to the survey who we say, great, now we know what all parents think about things. Whereas our approach is, okay, 40% respond to your survey. You now know the 60% that we actually want to hear from. How can we authentically go and capture that parent voice and then share it with the wider sector? And onto that wider sector piece, um, we set up something called the Parental Engagement Forum back in 2019. And it's a group of about 30 charities that come together to uh, share best practice, to explore some of this sort of research and to and to network with one another all about how best can we um, support those parents that are facing the biggest barriers to engage in their children's learning. So many fascinating insights there. As a, as a family here who who does the, the homework on a Sunday morning, that Sunday morning reminder would be quite helpful. I, I'd imagine it's fascinating in terms of all the, all the things you're learning. I, I mean, time is tight. We're, we're sadly running out of time, but I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot, Tom, if I may, and say of everything you've learned, all the work you're doing at the moment, what if you had to sort of sit down with the school right now and say, I've got two top tips in terms of improving parental engagement, what would your top two be? And maybe that's unfair because you've probably got hundreds, but... Give me a couple. Every parent wants the best for their child. Like, try not to forget that. Try not to let your team forget that. The next thing I would focus on is power dynamics. And when a parent comes into a school, they're expected to sit down in a seat made for a five-year-old to come and have a whole half hour where they're told about the entire year's maths by someone whose name they need to know, but probably doesn't know their name. Like, it's all about, if you've not enjoyed going to school yourself, you're put straight back into that child experience so often as a parent. Actually trying to flip that on the head and think, these people are a massive resource to us because we might be the expert in how to teach about fractions, but they're the experts in each and every one of these children. They've known that child for four years, 11 years, 18 years, whatever it is. And so we should be trying to learn from them about, about their child. In terms of the the names thing, like it's a really easy um, or really sort of small thing, but we know from large scale surveys that what do most parents get called at school, mum or dad, most what do most parents want to get called at school, their name. Yes, it's hard to learn a lot of names, but even just thinking, okay, who are the key families that where we really try and build that relationship and try to stop calling them mum and dad can be really useful. Last little one. We ask teachers over and over what they think the biggest barriers are to parents engaging in their children's learning, and we ask parents the same thing. And there's one barrier that's always second on the list for parents, but never comes into the top 10 for teachers. And number one is time. Both of them say parents being poor on time. But the second thing that parents say is, my child doesn't enjoy the stuff that gets sent home. And so interacting with my child becomes a negative thing because you're trying to flog us through some sort of worksheet and my child doesn't like it and why would I want to keep doing that 
And that child enjoyment piece never gets picked up as one of the key barriers for bar for teachers when they're thinking about EAL, they're thinking about, you know, all these other things that are barriers. But actually, what are you sending home? And is it helping make a fun interaction between that parent and child? Because if not, you're really, you know, it, it just makes sense from a parent's point of view. Like you want to have fun with your child. You don't want to be doing things that are just causing that friction, causing that um, that difficult relationship. So thinking about that child enjoyment piece. Having now been on both sides of the table, I look back now I'm a parent and trying to get the homework done with the children. I've learned so much that I didn't know actually when I was a, a teacher and a head teacher in terms of seeing that. And that thing about, as you say, if it's not enjoyable, if you feel like it's a struggle, it suddenly makes the whole dynamic very fraught and difficult. So it's, it's a challenging one, but a really important one. Let's finish up in terms of if people want to find out a bit more about the work you're doing, learning with parents who are interested in it, where, where would you direct them to, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is learningwithparents.com. Go and have a look and um, see some of the, the materials we're sharing there. The reading log. So that program is called We Read. You can find it from our, our website. And that is £45 per class. So it's sort of heavily subsidized to the point that it's effectively the same amount of money that schools typically spend on the um, those physical reading logs. That's a great starting point for schools if you want to then go on to our full program with the maths and the english again it's it's heavily subsidized um so it's 90 pounds per class for the the full program of support but we have lots of schools that start off with just you know one class or two try and build this stuff up with their reception class and their year one class and then and then roll it out we're open to whatever but um definitely come and and reach out to us and yeah look forward to look forward to connecting tom harbour from Learning with Parents was talking to the NEHT's James Bowen. Our thanks to you for listening to the School Leadership Podcast. All future episodes from us are easily accessible by you. All you need to do is select subscribe on the app wherever you usually access the podcasts that you're into. It's also true to say that we're always keen to hear what you have to say about the podcast. If you can make a few minutes to write an online review, some feedback, that would be very much appreciated. NAHT is a professional association and union for school leaders. To discover more about the benefits of being an NAHT member, go online to naht.org.uk forward slash join. naht.org.uk forward slash join. And on Twitter or X, we're at NAHT News. Until next time. For regular and useful content on the teaching profession, it has to be the School Leadership Podcast. The school Leadership Podcast. The school Leadership Podcast. The school Leadership Podcast.